Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 59 edition, NYFF director Eugene Hernandez sits down with director Celine Siama to discuss Petite Maman, a main slate selection in this year's festival. Following such singular inquiries into gender as tomboy, girlhood, and portrait of a lady on fire, Celine Siama proves again that she's among the most accomplished and unpredictable of all contemporary French filmmakers. With a gentle yet richly emotional time-bender, Petite Maman. Following the death of her grandmother, eight-year-old Nellie, played by Josephine Sanz, accompanies her parents to her mother's childhood home to begin a difficult process of sorting and removing its cherished objects. While exploring the nearby woods, Nellie encounters a neighbor her own age, with whom she finds she has a remarkable amount in common. Siama's scrupulously constructed jewel uses the most delicate of touches to palpate profound ideas about grief, memory, and the past. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 10th indoors and outdoors throughout New York City, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with director Celine Siama. All right. Well, hi, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the 59th New York Film Festival. Uh, we are so excited to have with us virtually, in this case, uh, Celine Siama, who was with us a couple of years ago, and uh, we had such a special night. It's, a, it's another special night here at the festival. Uh, if you're listening to this or watching this Q&A, you've probably just watched the film at Lincoln Center, or you're catching up with it after the fact. But um, Celine, welcome back to New York. A little bit different. You're traveling a little differently this year, but welcome back to New York. Hi, thank you for having me again. <laughs> Glad to be here. We are we are so excited to have you back. Uh, where are you joining us from today? Uh, Paris. Uh, this is fake woods, but I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the woods in Paris. Totally fine. Um, well, why don't we dive into it? We have, you know, maybe 20 minutes to talk about your film. We're, we're, it, it was so special for us to watch the film as a selection committee earlier this year. And uh, as soon as we watched it, we had a, a beautiful conversation about it and uh, immediately uh, agreed that we want to bring the film to New York. So we're so happy that you allowed us to share it with our audience in New York. It really means a lot to us. So first, thank you and congratulations on the film. Thank you. It, it certainly couldn't have been an easy task, uh, given all the all of us in the world have gone through the last 18 months uh, to put another movie out into the world. So maybe that's where we'll start the conversation. Just give us a little context. Tell us uh, where, where this idea came from and the challenge of, of getting a movie together and putting it together uh, and having it ready for festivals um, amidst everything that we've been enduring lately. Well, the idea for Petite Maman kind of really struck me actually years ago while I was both in the process of promoting my life as a zucchini, uh, the animated film by Claude Barras that I had co-written. Um, and I was in the middle of writing Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and I was doing both those things. Um, and I was very much in that, that energy of um, my life as a zucchini, which was had been a very, very uh, intense experience for me because it was the first time that I actually um, written with kids, my uh, with kids as an audience, um, kids character for kids, and he actually changed my whole perspective on writing script in a way. 
um, because I was being very, very careful for the first time at creating a safe space for fiction. And I think that um, this, uh, this philosophy, this ethic of writing for kids kind of helped me write in Portrait of a Lady on Fire in a different, creating a different kind of safe space. Um, and, um, and I was pretty much in that energy, in that philosophy when Petite Maman arrived, which basically through this image, um, I had this image of a tree house uh, in the woods being built by two kids. And reading this image, I was like, oh, obviously one is the mom and one is the daughter, even though they have the same age. And that idea felt uh, revolutionary for myself. Um, I wanted to write immediately. Um, Portrait of Olivia on Fire was a film I kept kind of giving, giving up <laughs> writing because it was hard. Um, and I just said, no, I'm going to keep this idea and I'm going to do it after. And I did, I mean, right after the, the, the portrait of Lady on Fire tour, so February 2020, um, I got back to France right after the United States release, uh, and I locked myself in for a week uh, and began to write Petite Maman, and I wrote the 10 first scenes. And then lockdown happened, and I stopped writing because this was no writing residence. Um, and opened the script two months later and read that first scene that I'd written. That first scene is um, a, a kid saying goodbye to several women in a nursing home. And, um, and suddenly that scene that felt very, very intimate to me, uh, I was talking about my personal history, was charged with a new collective idea, with a new collective feeling. We had been losing a lot of our elders. We have been able to say goodbye. And suddenly it felt like the film, this idea that felt intemporal, that felt like uh, even a personal mythology became urgent um, as it was dealing with what we had to deal with. And also because it was thinking a lot about kids and elders, which were the one who were the most politically and also um, hit by this pandemic. So, um, so we decided to go for it. I wrote the script uh, in a few weeks in the month of June and, and we cast it in the month of July and shot in October uh, during the second lockdown in France, which means that you know, it was, we were going through empty streets to a studio because the film was all shot in a box except for those woods. And we would uh, then have the privilege to see faces take off their mask and look at them. Um, so, Cinema felt uh, like a privilege, but it's, it also felt like a very, very important thing, like a sacred thing that we were allowed to keep doing. That's a very long answer. That's <laughs> a great answer. <laughs> it's like, no, it's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that context and background because I, I can't imagine that when you, well, you couldn't have imagined when you conceived of this idea years ago, the context in which it would resonate so deeply and so differently now. So when you picked it up again, you, you, you had the idea, you put it away for a bit, you come back to it. Take us back to that moment when you sort of go back to it as you're starting to, to really write the script for this and kind of really flesh it out. Um, I can only imagine how your, 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 your mind and your, your thought process must have been so different going into this and seeing these, this idea and viewing it in such a, a different way because of what was happening in the world. How did you, what, what surprised you about this idea that you had? What, 
what challenged you in trying to kind of reconceive how you would express it? Well, I think it wasn't about the narrative or the staging of the film. I think, I mean, the film is, is, a, is a time traveling film, so it would allow us to be in any time. And plus it's a time traveling film in a timeless film because we don't know when it's set. So it's basically time traveling that is, um, that could work during the last 50 years um, regarding the art direction. And, um, uh, so I kind of, I wrote it, yeah, like um, Eternal Tale, uh, but I guess it's production-wise and how it felt uh, to make cinema at that moment that was really, really, really mm. different. And I think the film, I can't tell where it is engraved, where it is, uh, um, really where is the print of all that in the film it's everywhere um because also we felt we were locked down we were in a bubble in a bubble and also mostly i must say usually a film is a personal lockdown it's always a personal, personal lockdown you forget about everything else <laughs> um, and this time it wasn't the case so that was the difference it was that while making it uh we were totally totally to always connected and aware of the world um it was mm. not a shooting where you forget about what's happening. Uh, it's the opposite. So it's it's a very different energy, but I don't think it changed anything um, plot-wise, except uh, believing even more in the healing power of cinema, uh, in, the, in the shamanism of cinema, or a cinema is also ther therapeutical to cinema as a um, sentimental impact and political impact on the world. Yeah. We, that felt vivid. Um, so I guess it just, yeah, believing in what we were doing um, and its meaning. I, I see in your work, I see the, this, what you just said is so uh, deeply resonant for me because I see in your work everything you just said in those last like two sentences, three sentences. Uh, cinema is, it, it, it can convey and connect us to sentiment. It can, it can be political. It has so much of what you just expressed. Um, and how do you think about, as a writer, there's a two-part question to this. You talked earlier about writing for a different audience, writing for a younger audience, perhaps, or, or being open to a younger audience. But then you also, in your work, have this, what I would observe, is a very strong commitment to everything you were just saying whether that's that's political whether that's to to a particular sentiment so how, tell me if you don't mind if you can sort of open up your process for us how you balance that how you how you navigate that within your own creative self well i think that it's about layers um, um, i think i i i consider there is a scene to be shot when it's at the intersection of um, several things that I need to believe in it, uh, mm. which is several layers of care, actually, you know. And that's why I, I like to do cinema where I um, intervene a lot, I'm doing the costume myself. I, this time, as the set was built, I was really, really behind uh, every choice that could be the white, the wallpaper, or, you know, the, the, the length of the corridor. Um, and this is scaring a lot. This is putting a lot <laughs> of love, of choices in the image. And those choices, they can be objects, um, they can be attitudes of words, of, or lines, color, lighting, 
um, and and you know, and attitudes are political in, in a way. So it's um, and it's and then it's all these ideas. It's full of ideas, and 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 it's the way those ideas dance or resonate together that then um, that makes the scene. Um, so. I, Actually, it's a process you can unfold. I could at least we could take each scene, and I could talk about of those layers of desires. Uh, some of them are connected, some are not, but all of them added uh, make the, this kind of yeah uh, thickness, <laughs> or I don't know the fact also the fact that it's yeah that the images feels wanted. Take home limited edition merch from this year's 59th New York Film Festival. The official NYFF 59 poster, designed by artist Kara Walker, plus original NYFF t-shirts, hats, and more, are now available. Shop online at filmlink.org merch, or during the festival at Alice Tully Hall and the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center. Let's talk, so let's talk about one particular image, and, and actually we'll use the image that's behind you because it's such a striking image from the film and, and um, you're sitting you're sitting in it right now. Um, and you, I think you said a minute ago that it was that image of these two these two young young women, these two girls that was that was an early image for you. Um, so if you don't maybe we can use this image behind you as an example of what you were just talking about and tell us about designing and composing um, this image that would become at least for those of us now who have seen the film an, an iconic and emblematic image from this film. Well, for instance, this image is shot in my hometown. So the first layer is the fact that this is, so it's a personal one, but it's the first desire. It's uh, looking at some place you know, not because you know it, because then you know you're gonna be able to transform it. <laughs> you know, starting with the material you know when you're going for such a fictional trail um, is a way for me to be sure that you're gonna depart from it and that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna build this is a place where I can imagine that there are two times. I can. It's it's because they are actually when where I'm in this place. So it's my hometown. It's a suburb, thirty kilometers from Paris, but it's not that beautiful. So most of those colors, uh, we brought them. Most of those leaf, um, we you know if we, we we took them from other trees in other places, so that it would be that flamboyant. So that's. The two legs, you know, it's a place you know, you have a heart for, but you're going to transform it for cinema. Um, there's this treehouse uh, that is built by a professional <laughs> set designer, but which is definitely, we try to make it as um, believable, made by kids, but still cinematic. Um, we can see that there's a moon that feels, I mean, tiny and could be everywhere. And I was always thinking about Miyazaki and that this should be woods that Miyazaki would find uh, beautiful. <laughs> um, and then um, there is this little um, curtain uh, that is kind of, uh, makes it like a little theater. Um, and actually the, the, one of the kids is getting out before that, from that little curtain and it's, she, and she laughs and she's very much alive, but she looks like a ghost. And there's leaves everywhere. And that's the, this, the other little girl who put them to actually please her. And that's why they're both very happy with what they created together, which is poetry. Uh, 
And I don't know what else I can say about this image because um, uh, I guess it's, it's an image also where we can feel equality. We can see how they're exactly the same height, um, even though we don't see their face. So it's, it's an embodiment of sisterhood, friendship, uh, um, and, but still there is a troubling idea. It's that it's a mother and a daughter. So it's a very peaceful image with a lot of turmoil, with a lot of possibilities and impossibilities. And it's very playful. Um, and, and most of these ideas, you don't have to know to actually feel them. And that's, that's why I love doing cinema, is that you can put so many ideas um, and, and they will be hidden, but they will be felt. Mm. That's a really strong statement you just said, um, because it makes me think about, um, as, a, as a filmmaker, as a director, it makes me think about the, the triggers, the tools you have at your, at your, at your fingertips or in your, in your conversations with your collaborators that will um, sometimes subtly, sometimes in a non-overt way, affect an audience, and sometimes in a direct way, surprise an audience, shock an audience. You, you're, you're, you're moderating and, and managing these tools as you're designing what the film is gonna be. Um, maybe help me understand how you thought about the way that an audience would engage with this film. You're making this movie in, during a lockdown. We, we, you, don't, you don't know what the end result is. We still don't know what the end result is, right? But yet our audience has just gathered in a theater with a thousand people in, in New York City to watch this film. Um, and I'm struck by what you said a minute ago. The, you believe you're a strong believer in the power of cinema as a collective experience, right? As an experience together, in addition to an experience at home. How we probably and you probably watched a lot of movies during the lockdown. So, how do you think about this experience of cinema as a collective experience? Well, you know, I think, of course, I, I, I designed the film. I designed the film to be both seen into a crowded room because that's what we always wish for. Um, but also I designed it thinking about the fact that it would be watched at home. Um, and especially also because I want it to be watched by kids. And you know what? We, we can't always count on adults for taking kids to the theater. Um, so the, and the film has more wide shots than my previous film, because I was thinking also about how the screens could be smaller. Um, I think we have to expand what we define as uh, the best, ex uh, what's an experience of cinema. Otherwise, we won't save cinema. We'll keep saving theaters. We have to, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll keep that fight. But um, we also have to keep saving cinema uh, uh, and not define it by where it is watched. Um, and so for me, the film, I feel fine about the film. And I try to design it as an experience that would work um, because the collective experience of a film, um, the experience of a film is, of, is, is between you and the film. I, I, I believe that I'm, I'm a child of VCR. Uh, as a kid, I couldn't go by myself to cinema. Uh, I've had a lot of cinematic experience uh, on different screen. I want to defend that because otherwise we are gonna cut us off from youth and and you know and if I hadn't had such means to watch cinema I, I wouldn't have access to cinema. Um, and you know this film particularly is built um, more and more on the idea um, that 
I tried to design the story to be really a, a dialogue between the audience and the film, um, which means that I'm not going to put too much uh, life of the character, the character, for instance. It's not about, and it's not about their emotions. It's not about how they feel about what's happening. It's about how we feel. Uh, we know much, we know, don't know much about this time <laughs> because, and it's and it's designed like that so that we we can connect uh, with it. Though we even if we had a good relationship or a bad relationship with our parents, it's still uh, uh, you know you don't have to to fit in with the film. The film would adapt to you. Um, the mm. film will watch. So I'm trying to more and more to make to make film that so you will feel, make you feel seen. But I mean, you, yeah, the film is looking at. And and so that it's it's uh, it's very much a mutual dialogue, and I think that's cinema, I, and I think that's and if you're more and more in the room, that experience will be more intense. It will be collective because it will mean that it will be several dialogues at the same time and several impacts, and some will be the same, some will not, and it will, and this this dialogue will be multiplicated. But still, cinema is also about having intimacy uh, with a film, with a moment. Um, and this intimacy is what we're trying to build, so we mustn't forget that. Yes. Mm. Another strong statement. Um, I'm taking this away from our conversation. You're looking at the film, but the film is also looking at you. I, I really um, appreciate that that sentiment, that that statement, um, because in that also is a lot of what um, I think we see in, in in your work. I wonder if that's a, a I wonder if that's an assessment or a thought that is new to you in your thinking about cinema, or is it something that's been evolving through your work? I mean, I guess it's something I've always felt, you know, when when I'm happy to, when I'm connected to cinema, which means mostly it's not when I do it, you know, mostly connected to cinema through the work of others. That's what I'm always looking for now officially, you know, what kind of feeling we're looking for. And of course I want people to love the film, but also I want them to love cinema. You know, I want both things. I'm looking for both things. So I want them to get out of the room saying like, oh, I love the film, but I'd rather they get out of the room saying, thinking like, ah, cinema, you know? <laughs> and um, and I'm more and much, more and much, uh, more and more aware that's, that, that was what was making me alive as, as, a, as a film watcher and film lover. And, you know, that's the kind of feeling that I'm trying to animate. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that, that's the political awareness about, uh, you know, what we expect and, and also what is the responsibility, of course, uh, of cinema. Uh, and um, so it's a process, always as the same as life, of actually acknowledging, admitting what feels good to you and going all the way for it, not being intimated by convention uh, or yeah, what should be done so that it would look like cinema uh, and trust that feeling. And I must say that this is not something you can do alone. That process is always handed to you by others. And I must say that the confidence that I was given um, by the audience and the community uh, this this, this cinephilia that uh, around Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, has granted me with a strong feeling of uh, keep going. Uh, and I, uh, I'm very grateful that uh, this lesson was, you know, that I could live such a, 
such a layer, such a lesson and such a, um, such a, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't have the words. <laughs> I'm French suddenly, suddenly. <laughs> I'm the, 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 message, you, the message is totally clear, Celine. Uh, and you said it so well in two words, ah, cinema. That's the that's the sentiment that we're hoping for at a festival like this. And you have an open invitation to please return to uh, to us here at Lincoln Center in New York to talk again uh, in person on a stage. It will happen again, I know it. But in the meantime, uh, we really appreciate um, not only your sharing this film with us, thank you for that, but also sharing your time to uh, talk about the film, to talk about yourself and your work. It's really meaningful to us when we can't be together uh, to still have this uh, this connection that we can share. So thank you and congratulations on Petit Mama and wishing you the best with it. Thank you very much. Enjoying NYFF? Don't miss festival selections opening soon at Film at Lincoln Center, including Todd Haynes' The Velvet Underground, Mia Hansen Lowe's Bergman Island, the late Melvin Van Peebles' Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song in a new 4K restoration, and much more. For tickets and more info, visit filmlink.org.